Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of the Bearstock Underground is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, adapting to a wide range of diets, and it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 a day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is also brought to you by ColorCast. Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and to use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on Colorcast every Friday night, seven p.m. Central, eight o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club Thirty Four Seven. What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Another retro rewind episode. This one number three. Uh, going back to Bears Packers because we're having our great friend. Evan Western from Acme Packing Company on the show to talk to us about Bears Packers Week 9, 1989, also known infamously in Bear circles as the instant replay game. And um, what was really interesting about this one is that uh, this was the first game that we've done so far where we were doing the conversation based on a condensed version uh, of the game. We were not able to find the full broadcast uh, anywhere uh, on YouTube like we were with the 49er game with myself and Lauren Cox or the first Bears-Packer game from 86 with Emery Moorhead. So we had about a 20-minute video, and somehow we turned that 20-minute video into a near-hour-long conversation between myself uh, and Evan going back and looking at it. It was, it was um, an odd year uh, for the Bears uh, after five straight division titles from 84 to 88. 
Um, they were looking for number six in 89, started the year 4-0, and and then went downhill uh, after that. And for someone like me, who fell in love with the team in 85 and probably watched the Bears lose maybe 10 games in the first five seasons, I watched them to watch them lose 10 games in a season was gut-wrenching. For me, like I just had no idea what to do with myself watching them lose more games than they won for the first time in my life. But um, this game especially, it's a classic. It is an absolute classic despite the fact that we lost the game. Uh, it's entertaining. It's edge of your seat. If you can find the video on YouTube, it's actually an NFL uh, video uh, edited officially by the NFL. It's about 20 minutes long. And, um, you know, it's, it's an, an insane football game. The Bears lost 14 to 13. And like I said, the instant replay portion at the end uh, took about the last quarter uh, of the video. That's how big a deal uh, it was uh, at the time. So had a great time talking to uh, Evan, uh, going back and forth about this game, the differences between now uh, and then, you know, how differently that game might have played out with today's technology uh, and things like that. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, so let's just go ahead and get to it. This is the Retro Rewind episode, Bears-Packers, 1989, week number nine, with myself and Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud Back once again for the Retro we- Rewind. God, it's still a tongue twister, and I'm the idiot who named the show. Retro Rewind number three, and uh, it's another Bears-Packers game, but this time... Uh, our beloved did not come out on top, spoiler alert. And um, to help, uh, I mean, why not? I mean, he's there to help us preview all the other Bears losses to the Packers. It's uh, from Acme Packing Company. It's Evan Western. Evan, thanks so much for uh, coming back and doing this little experiment with me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm I'm looking forward to this one. This is a, this is a game that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you intro it, but uh, I, I was not, I was very, very young for this game. I will just put it that way. I was not in, in football watching age. So um, getting a chance to, to go back and experience this one a little bit was a lot of fun. Well, sadly, I was. I was uh, 11 <laughs> years old uh, when this game was played, and I remember it vividly. I remember how I was feeling, where I was. You know, watching Sterling Sharp catch the touchdown pass and all the other nods. But we'll talk about all of that. Let's set the stage. We're going back to 1989. It is week nine of the 1989 season. Our beloved Chicago Bears are five and three. The Packers are four and four. However, the Bears started the 1989 season four and oh, starting first week one against the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals, a come behind victory in Chicago over the Bengals. Then we um, stayed home again, destroyed Minnesota, 38-7 to for our first division win of the season. Then we go on the road to Detroit, 47-27, and then we come home for Monday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles, 27-13, and boom, the Bears, who have won five straight NFC Central titles, are well on their way to working on another one with a 4-0 start. But after that, the 89 season just went completely sideways on the Bears because we went 2-10 and 10 the rest of the way to finish 6-10 and 10, uh, in 89. So starting with a three-game losing streak after that 4-0 start. Going into this game against the Packers, we had just snapped that three-game losing streak with a victory over the Rams in week number eight to improve to 5-3. and three. So 
you know, we, we entered the season looking for a sixth straight divisional title, and now it looks like we're going to have to fight and, clad, fight and scratch and claw in order to get that. The Packers, on the other hand, enter this game at 500. They're 4-4. Four and four. Uh, This is the best they've played in a while, and uh, led by head coach uh, Lindy Infante, uh, his second, uh, second year at the, uh, at the helm. And if um, Green Bay wins, they sh- you know, we saw a graphic right before the game starts, they could have a piece of first place because the Bears and the Vikings are tied for first place at 5-3, and three, Green Bay right behind them at 4-4. Four and four. If they win, they'll at the very least be ahead of the Bears with the tiebreaker uh, in second place with, uh, with seven, games left to, seven games left to play. So there we are. The Bears are struggling. The, Patrick's, the, the Pe- Packers are surging. And it's this, the first matchup of the 89 season, week number nine between the Bears uh, and the Packers. So, Evan, taking a, a trip down memory lane, what was it like watching this game for you? Yeah, it was um, like I said. I, I was I was very young. I was not a not watching football with any sort of you know memory making capacity. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, just just taking a look back this 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 '89 season for Green Bay, um, they kind of got the nickname the Cardiac Pack because yeah. so many of their games they would win you know close late goofy comebacks. This this was. Don Mikowski's Magic Man season too, yes. right? He led the NFL in passing yards. Um, he, he was he was a Pro Bowler, might have gotten some All Pro votes. Um, you know, this was really, you know, that that breakout season for him. Um, I, I was I was surprised to look back at the Bears roster and realize that uh, Mike Tomzak was the starting quarterback for the first half of that season, and then gets benched for Jim Harbaugh in time for this game. Yeah, um, that one. That I, I knew Harbaugh was in Chicago for a while there. I had forgotten that Tom Zach was the starter at the beginning of this season because he would come in and end up starting seven games for the Packers in 91 for an injured uh, Mikowski. Um, and then wow. obviously, you know, 92 happens and we actually have some quarterback continuity. Yeah, that's in my, that's in my notes at the bottom. We'll get so. to that at the, at the end when we discuss the aftermath of this game. Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, again, the, the the Packers come in four and four. Three of their their first four wins have come by three points or less, um, and that would really be a theme for for this whole team uh, moving forward. But some some big names on that defense. Uh, Tim Harris was just an absolute monster as a pass rusher for the yeah. Packers that year. Um, Mark Lee, really good, underrated, you know, ten year starting cornerback, and um, you know, on offense, obviously, you know, Sharp is the headliner, but he really didn't. didn't didn't do much in this game. Um, you know, I don't know if the, the Bears just did a really good job game planning him out of the, the well, Packers the offense. The other thing, or what? unfortunately, is that we are doing this off a condensed version right. of the game. So, you know, we don't – you really take it, uh, you take it with a grain of salt as far as yep. what all we were shown because there was a moment in, this, in, the, in the video where it talks about how Mikowski was sacked for the third time. It's like – that's the first time I've seen him get sacked in this in this particular video. You know, all yep. the other highlights show Mikowski breaking the pocket and running all over the place. How the hell did we get him three times? I mean, how do we get him once, let alone three times? And this is the third one. I mean, you know, I think we're missing some highlights here. Yep. So yeah, but it was uh, you know Mikowski's mobility was really I think something that I had forgotten about as mm-hmm. you know a really underrated part of his game, um, and and it it's it's silly to say that because that's 
part of why he got that magic man nickname was was his ability to escape the pocket and and make something happen on scramble drills and things but um it, it really did show up a, a a number of times in this game um as as i'm sure we'll we'll discuss oh yeah for sure so speaking of which you know as far as we can tell green bay started with the ball uh in this one and marched right down the field uh to score a touchdown a 24 yard throw to a wide open Clint Didier, like the Bears completely caught with their pants down, like a misdirection type play. Didier wide open, 24 nothing, And just like that, the Lambeau crowd is absolutely on fire early on in this game because the Packers have taken the lead over the, the very hated Chicago Bears. Yep. Yeah, that was one of just, just two touchdowns Didier scored in his Packers career, and, and the last wow. one he would, he would score. Um, the only one he had in 89 – uh, he came over from Washington and was basically an afterthought, just kind of a you know a, a blocking tight end in, in that Packers offense. But came off a really good play fake from Mikowski too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a that was a really impressive. Um, you know, just a you, you can see maybe where Favre got a little bit of his ability in that 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 particular uh, area because yeah, Mikowski just seemed to me he did a really good job of hiding the football and, and yeah, Didier was just wide open. Yeah. Yeah, completely uh, wide open. The Bears tried to answer. Um, they they got a lucky call on a pass interference. I don't know if that call gets called today. <laughs> um, you know, it's like okay, well, you know, obviously we as the Bear fans will will take it, but it was kind of a questionable call. But they they made it anyway, extended the Bears' drive, but unfortunately they could only come up with a field goal uh, for it to make it seven three, and that's pretty much the first quarter in a nutshell. So. Um, you know, the Packers scored right away, uh, and the Bears tried to answer. They, they, they had to settle for a field goal, which speaks a lot as to why the Bears struggled so much, as they had a hard time closing out the drives uh, in this game. I mean, it was a defensive struggle back and forth throughout, so it's not like the Packers found the end zone easier uh, than they did the first time uh, around. As a matter of fact, they don't score again until literally the last minute of the football game. So, you know, defensive back and forth, and when I was looking at the stats – we only saw one sack of Mikowski in that video. The Bears sacked him five times in that Oof. game. So, I mean, the pass rush was still effective and was able to close down on him. Uh, those that those in the NFL that put that video together just, I guess, thought that wasn't important. So, because they, they cut it out. We saw <laughs> yeah. one sack out of five. Yep. Yeah, he saw the, he's got a 14-yard scramble in there somewhere. And then, yeah, a number, again, of those scramble drill plays where he's escaping the pocket and making something happen on the run. But, yeah, you wouldn't know from the, the highlight package that, uh, I mean, certainly he was he was you know under duress for much of the game, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily know how much the, you know, how often the Bears actually were able to bring him down. Yeah, so, because um, that was a surprise to me when I was actually looking at the stats to see, like, oh, this guy sacked him twice, two guys had one sack, and then, I think McMichael and, and, and Trace Armstrong split a sack. So for five uh, altogether, I was like, they only showed one sack in that video, and we <laughs> sacked them five times. You think that'd be a trend in the video. Like, Mikowski got sacked five right. times in this game, and they won anyway kind of thing. You know, but, you know, maybe that's just me. I, I think I would have told a better story with those highlights than, than those guys did. They just kind of skipped right to the end where all the fun stuff uh, <laughs> happened. But, yeah, um, I, I thought one other thing that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. was um, the Packers used a lot of shotgun. Yeah, um, they did. For for an, a 1989 game, um, I was surprised at just how many times I saw 
Mikowski drop back in the shotgun. Maybe some of that was to deal with that Bears pass rush. Sure. Um, but it, it got me wondering, who was the Packers offensive coordinator during this time? And I I couldn't find one. I don't think they actually had one. I don't think Infante even hired an offensive coordinator. I think that was so wasn't he I think that was essentially then? his role. He was yeah. the play caller. But um that was a that was something that that changed obviously when Holmgren took over uh in in 92. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was the the play caller as well, but he at least hired on an offensive coordinator. So that just uh it that kind of caught me off guard a little bit too. Like it, it's it's unheard of these days. So even if you do have a head coach who is calling the plays, you've still got coordinators or you know or a NOC um, working under him. So that that was just a little bit of an oddity to me too. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, that they didn't even have a guy, you know, mm-hmm. that that carried the title to to, to at least uh, right. you know take advantage of the fact you can have another guy that help with the game planning or. Or, or what have you, or even have a, like the quarterback coach pulling double duty or something like that. He's the the quarterback coach and also the offensive coordinator, but we all know who's calling the plays kind of thing, like Nagy and the disaster that he was for four seasons <laughs> in Chicago. So one of the notes that I had, and we, we talked about it just a moment ago, was Mikowski was so elusive uh, in the pocket. He did a tremendous job. I mean, you know, as we know, looking at the stats, he was still sacked five times in this game, but you know, if what we saw in the, in the, in the highlight package that we got, um, he made the bears earn every single one of those sacks by how he was moving around in the pocket that day. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then the, the play obviously that defines this game is, is defined by his mobility too, right. Him escaping the pocket to the right. So I will say there was one play that, that jumped out at me where, um, Harbaugh's ability to navigate the pocket actually was was impressive, and it was I think the Packers pinned the Bears down at the one yard line on the yeah. punt, mm-hmm. and the the first play from from scrimmage or for for that Bears offense on that drive, he drops back to about eight yards deep in the end zone, and probably should have been sacked two or three times, but somehow <laughs> you know navigates through the pressure and and fires a dart over the middle for um, like twenty yards or something to get out of the shadow of the end zone. So mm-hmm. that was a a really impressive play um, that, that stood out to me there on, on the other side. Yeah, and then the other notes that I have, me and my um, my my uh, uniform snobbery um, <laughs> could not help but notice the random placement of the G logo on the helmets of the Packer <laughs> players. It's like yeah. Mikowski had like one on the back of his head or something like that. Some of them have like way up the top. It's like, did they just give him stickers and tell him to slap them on the – the helmet because like they're literally everywhere some of them are kind of cocked upwards yeah. uh and all that kind of stuff it's like what is going on like they can see this right they can see that <laughs> why aren't they fixing it because this is driving me crazy oh man yeah i clearly those stickers did not uh have the durability <laughs> of today's modern helmet decal technology right Jeez. Those, they were just like some of them just barely over the ear hole, and someone's like yep. way up top, like it's almost in the in the stripes and stuff like that. It was just crazy uh, to look at. And then the other thing that I noted was the um, the the yellow G painted at midfield as opposed to the green and white. Yes. to model the uh, helmet logo. Instead, it's a yellow G with like the slightest bit of white trim. It just looks so weird compared to what we are accustomed to seeing nowadays. Yeah, that and then I, I did notice the the Packers end zone designs too. It was just a very bland, um, like sans serif font in the back of the end zones. <laughs> um, not 
you know, very much not like the kind of stencil font that the Packers use sure. nowadays for yeah. their um, for their word mark. Um, I think that was probably one of those things that that changed when uh, Bob Harlan took over as Packers team president right around '92, right before Ron Wolf got hired. Um, I, I, they did make some some tweaks to the branding and things and the imagery around the team, and I think that probably was about the time when that would have taken off too. But this was something that I talked to uh, Lauren Cox about when we did the Bears 49ers game from 85 was just how different the broadcast was back then. Yeah. How, you know, if you weren't paying attention for the three seconds between them breaking the huddle and them getting to the line of scrimmage, you didn't know what the down and distance was. Um, you know, especially if the, if the broadcaster didn't tell you. You know, right. like it was up there for a couple seconds and then it was gone. And then we're watching. You don't have that that embedded image on the field that says third and seven right up until the snap of the football. You don't know how much time is left in the game. You don't know what the score is. So you relied a lot more on the broadcasters back then. You didn't have the, the, the first down stripe, uh, you know, embedded on the field uh, and things like that, you know, computer graphic wise mm-hmm. uh, and everything. There was, it was very much a plain Jane kind of production is like here you are you're seeing the players when somebody scores we'll show you what the score is other than that just pay you're attention. on your own yeah you are on your own <laughs> pay yeah. attention and you'll know what's going on because god forbid you come into this thing late you won't know until there's a commercial break or till somebody <laughs> scores i mean because they just they just didn't offer it up too much back then Right. Well, yeah. And obviously, you know, in, in those days, the, the real estate just wasn't there from a, you know, from a resolution standpoint mm-hmm. to, to have all that information on there um, compared to today's you know, HD broadcasts and things. But obviously, I mean, just just maybe three or four years later, you started at least seeing the score up in the corner of, of the broadcast. Yeah, it was five years um, later in 94. Cause it was, when, okay. when Fox got the NFL, that's when that started. happening. That's when it was. Yeah. OK, that that. Yeah, that checks out. So, um, and then obviously, you know, we've we've got so much information now with with um, you know, the advent of computer technology and stuff. It still always cracks me up, you know, when I watch like a Monday Night Football broadcast and they've got the um, they've got the names of the the offensive skill position players up on the screen before every snap on, on who's on the field. Yeah, like okay, that's you know that that we're we've gone so far that we're you know, into the, the fantasy football realm that, you know, we're tracking snaps for, you know, which backup tight end is on the field. Um, so that's, that's how far we've come in a little over 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing was uh, that I found amusing, but they, they kept cutting away from it was whenever they tried to update us on scores around the league, you yeah. know, as opposed to today where there's a running ticker, you just have to wait a few seconds for it to come mm-hmm. back again to find out what the score is between Carolina and San Francisco or something like that, as opposed to like, you know, having to wait for, a, you know, going back to the studio with Brent Musburger or something like that, or uh, something like that to be able to find out what the score between Philly and Minnesota is. But, yeah. um, you know, it's like, well, we're just... speaking of, yeah, yes. Yeah, speaking of broadcasters, I was trying to figure out if I recognize the voice of the play by play guy. Was it Dick Stockton who oh, did yes. this game? That was okay. Dick Stockton That's, and his, uh, right. and it was Dan, Dan Fouts, Fouts, right? Yeah, Fouts was the color guy, and uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if I think Dick Dick Stockton is finally done because he's been the corpse of Dick Stockton for like the last decade uh, <laughs> yeah. or so, and it's just like okay, somebody needs to tell Dick that he died five years ago and just uh, send him home because it's just like that voice yeah. was timeless. I mean, he had that voice right up until the last game I ever heard him call, but it's just like you take a 
you ever put the camera on dick? It's like, oh, dear God, I'm going to have nightmares. But <laughs> anyway, so we, we're, we, we get into the third quarter now. It's still 7-3. We went scoreless in the second quarter. And here's where things start to pick up uh, a little bit. In the second half, I would say the theme of the second half, and I'd like to know if you agree with me here, Evan, is missed opportunities in yeah. the second half. Because Definitely. Ron Morris, the wide receiver for the Bears, got hit right in the chest with a touchdown pass that he dropped. As a matter of fact, it almost became an interception because the ball did this thing where it like landed on top of Ron mm-hmm. Morris's back, and a, one of the Packers tried to come in, and he bobbles it, and then a third guy almost comes in. A second uh, Packer defender almost picks it off uh, in the end zone, but it finally hits the ground. And, and this is a theme that plagued both teams because the Packers would have good drives and Mikowski threw an interception. He got strip sacked and it was just, you know, one promising drive after another. The defense just nullified anything that either offense was trying to do in the second half. Yeah. And well, those turnovers were, were both huge. I mean, both of them in the red zone, um, in the fourth, early fourth quarter, um, and by good old Ron Rivera of all people, yeah. getting both recovering the fumble and, and getting the interception, the pick. yeah, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a throwback. I, I that was that's one of those where I, I always knew that Rivera played for the Bears before being you know before coaching in Chicago, and then obviously getting the the head head gig in Carolina. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess it it didn't click for me that that was that was right the heart of the the heart of the era that uh, Rivera was playing. Yeah, he was um, a he was his, a backup. The, in 85 I think 85 might have actually been his his rookie year as well but you know this was also you know back in the NFL where a guy could wait four years to get his turn because um, Rivera didn't become a starter to like 87 80 like whenever the Bears started trading away when we traded away Wilbur Marshall we let Otis Wilson go that's when guys like Jim Morrissey and Ron Rivera went from playing on special teams to being starters on defense uh, on either side of uh, Mike Singletary yep so. Yeah, well, and and again, the, the Packers cycled through some really good pass rushers starting, you know, in this late this late '80s phase. But even before Reggie White showed up in in free agency in '93, I mean, again, Tim Harris was a monster. He had two sacks in this game. He had six games in '89 with mo- multiple sacks, um, and he had 19 and a half for the season in '89. Oh, wow. um, team single season record, I believe. Um, so yeah, he was, he was just unbelievable. Um, Tony Bennett was a real good pass rusher in the early nineties. Sure. Packers yeah. drafted Bryce pop. Um, so they, they had some, some good pass rushers, um, on that defense, even though the, the defense as a whole was just kind of, kind of meh. There were still some, some really good players on that side of the ball for green Bay. Yeah. Um, before we get to the fourth quarter, the third quarter is where the bears overtook uh, the game they they had a they got a they got it like a short punt and a decent return to start a drive at the Green Bay 35 yard line so you know like basically right there they're at the edge of Butler's field goal range with a 52 yarder I, I don't remember how long the field goal actually was but they had to settle for a field goal to make it seven six and then on the very he next celebrated game, like he, he celebrated did. like he just he won did. the Super Bowl oh man <laughs> I was like, wait, who is this guy running running across the field? I'm like, Jesus, that was yeah, uh, yeah that was quite the, he was the all celebration, about the, the kicks and the fist pumps, you know, with <laughs> with uh, with uh, with Butler. He was, um, I think, that's why he was so popular in Chicago. Was that you know he was a kicker, but he played football like a football player, or at least he acted like one. Anyway, yeah. he had swagger, he had yep. an attitude, and he was a kicker. You know, I mean, <laughs> he, he also you know Butthead was his nickname. 
uh, and everything. He was just a unique, unique guy. Um, That's great. And then on the very next Bears drive, a huge catch and run from Dennis Gentry to get the Bears deep in Packer territory. Uh, Brad Muster, who, boy, there's a blast from the past as far mm-hmm. as, you know, somebody who played on the Oof. Bears for a, was a beast. How big? I mean, they said he was like 6'3". Oh, my like, gosh. No, he's like 6'9". There's no way he's only like 6'2". <laughs> you know, he was just like an offensive lineman running around with the ball on the field. And he was fast. He was breaking tackles. And he later scored a two-yard touchdown to make it 13-7 Bears going into the fourth quarter. I tell you, man, fullbacks in in that era was just that's that's such a different type of football than what we see nowadays. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and and it really kind of carries through into like my, my the big one for me that kind of was the end of that trend was Mike Allstott, right? Oh yeah, for Tampa. Yeah. Um, but but going back, I mean, the Packers had some of those guys too. Guys like um, you know Vince Workman, I think, was a big guy like that for a while. Um, you can you can go back. You know, any number of these guys littered across the you know, the NFL in the '80s, but but that two back set, uh, especially with the the split back um, formation, just seems like such a dinosaur. Watching you know, watching some of these games um, compared to what we see formationally, even just mm-hmm. in in the NFL today. So that was one of the things that struck me too. Was man, how many carries did you know six foot five, two hundred seventy pound Brad Mustard get in this game? <laughs> Well, the thing was, he was more impressive as a pass catcher than he was as a runner uh, in this mm-hmm. game. I mean, looking at the stats, he had like 60 yards on six catches. You know, he had a the, the touchdown was only from two yards out, and it took him like two or three tries to get in from like four yards out to score that touchdown. But you hit him out in the offseason, he's tiptoeing down the sidelines, he's making guys miss, he's breaking tackles. It's like, this guy would be a tight end in today's NFL. Why the hell was he a fullback? Yeah back then but the funny thing was with the bears was they had they had the full spectrum at fullback because you had the big lumbering Brad Muster and then you had the short and shifty Matt Suey was still on the team uh at the time and that oh, was man. one of the things that took my buddy Lauren Cox back when we were watching the the 49er game uh a week or two ago was like like you talk about that split back formation you know who Matsui's lead blocker was when he got to carry the football none other than Walter Payton and that was something you would mm-hmm. not see in today's NFL if the fullback's getting the ball he's running you know he's taking the ball and he's running single back he's not getting help from you know David Montgomery's not going to be blocking for this new t- uh, fullback that we have you know out of a split formation or, or anything like that he's running into a pile of people and getting that yard uh, on his own. In today's NFL, you're not going to sacrifice your best runner to be a blocker in those type of situations. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the, you know, in my formative Packers years, right, it was like the Dorsey Levin's Edgar Bennett show. Sure. Um, yeah. And that was very much the, you know, the case where both of those guys would be blocking for the other and and they played off of each other really well. Um, but, but yeah, that's, again, that's just, a, you know, one of those evolutions in in the game that has just completely gone away and i think you're right i think some of these guys definitely would be more like h back move tight ends um in in today's game um just based on the skill set that they've got and and they'd use them in in a little more um you know more of that type of way nowadays if they were coming in the nfl so in the fourth quarter things where things get really exciting the bears are trying to protect the lead they're up 13 uh to seven and this is where the turnovers start factoring in you know you you had the strip sack on 
Mikowski, John Roper comes in, he strips the ball, and then, like you said before, Rivera uh, recovers it. The Bears don't do a thing with it. We give the ball back to Green Bay. And then quite base, quite, quite cool. possibly the best play of the entire football game, in my opinion, Mikowski made an absolutely fantastic <laughs> decision, like one of the smartest plays you know, I've seen going back and watching these old games. He breaks the pocket. He's running. He can absolutely get the first down on his own, and instead he dumps it off to the running back, Fullwood, who in turn runs yes. the ball 67 oh yards gosh. to get it deep uh, into Bears territory. Unfortunately, a few plays later, he got picked <laughs> off by Ron Rivera killing that drive, but that play was absolutely awesome. I was like, oh, man, that was absolutely – I mean, that was good – you know, that was being a good teammate there and, and not, you know, thinking for yourself, but, you know, to get that guy the ball who can do better with it than you could. And he was off to the races, man. I thought he was going to score. Yeah, the Packers did a lot in the passing game with their running backs in this game. Um, Fullwood, they used Keith Woodside. They split him out a lot, like in the slot, and used him almost as like a slot receiver a bunch. Um, and he had a, a bunch of catches in this game, too, I think. Um yeah, full. Let's see. Yeah, Keith Woodside had four catches for forty-one yards. Full Wood obviously it seemed like they really wanted to run the the passing game through the running backs um, a little more than you know funneling the ball to to Sharp. And again, well, it would probably be great because to, they knew the Bears the full, were going to focus on Sharp. Well, and exactly that's that's kind of where I was going. It would be great to see the full broadcast and really see if you could um, see how the Bears were defending him. If yeah. they were really in you know, a bracketing with two or three guys the whole game, which which absolutely makes sense because I I, I was joking with one of my my other writers who who was you know a, a little older than me during this game, and I said, "Who the hell is Perry Kemp? I've never heard that name <laughs> in my life." And um, he, he was the Packers' number two receiver behind behind Sharp. And yeah. I think he had four catches for 50 yards in this game. And, and I looked him up, and like he actually had a couple of nice seasons in, in the Mikowski years, but just the, the only guy that, that you know about as a receiver from, from those Packers teams is sharp just because of you know the numbers that he was putting up. And, and he was such a focal point of that offense that um, – I was I was astounded that I realized yeah I have no idea who the hell the number two receiver is on this team so um, yeah it was uh, yeah but uh, sharp uh, sharp would would show up later <laughs> yeah for one of the most statistically insignificant games of his career yeah. two catches for nineteen yards but that touchdown which we'll get to here uh, in in just a minute but I mean it's like. Two ca- I mean, I would love to see how many targets he actually had, but only two catches for 19 yards, yeah. which means the catch that wasn't the 14-yard touchdown at the end of the game, one catch for five yards is all Sterling Sharp had to show for his day against the Bears until that touchdown uh, at the end uh, of the game. So they were effective yeah. in kind of phasing Sterling Sharp out of the uh, football game, but, uh, you know, that ended up not being able to do it for the full 60, unfortunately. Uh, for the Bears. Yep. So, I, go ahead. I, I did see a whole bunch of of bad throws to Jeff Query of all people, the um, special team stud, the the best mustache in the NFL in 1989. Um, <laughs> he's sort of a a uh, cult legend, cult hero for for Packers fans of a certain age. So, um, but yeah, it seemed like they targeted him like ten times in this game, and just every time there was. He was completely bracketed, and there was no, you know, there was no place to put put the football. And I, I just, I kept wondering, why in the hell do they keep throwing the ball to Jeff Query? 
um, because it was clear that uh, that that wasn't getting them anywhere. So um, thankfully, again, it seemed like they they st- once they started really working the running backs in the passing game, that was when they had some success, uh, at least moving the football. Yeah, and you know, on the final drive there, the Packers dodged a few bullets uh, before oh the uh, before the touchdown. Um, a, a ball that was batted into the air nearly gets picked off by Steve McMichael, but literally must have been covered in in Pam or something because it squirts right through his body. <laughs> and, and, and West Don just, West catches yeah. it before it hits the ground. <laughs> I mean, he gets like zero yards from it, but it ends up as a catch for him as opposed to an interception for Steve McMichael. And then later on in the drive with about a minute left in the game, Mikowski gets strip sacked and the ball is just sitting there in the middle of the field. And one of the offensive linemen for the Packers falls on top of it to, uh, to save possession and, and the game for the, for the moment. (laughs) This episode of the bear stock underground is brought to you by athletic greens. Tons of people take a multivitamin and it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, adapting to a wide range of diets, and it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 a day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is also brought to you by ColorCast. Guys, ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and to use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS uh, app store, create a profile, and link your Twitter and join a group. Follow me at BTU Larry to be I, to be notified when my room goes live, and we'll be going live on ColorCast every Friday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come and join the spiciest takes. Come find the new home for Club 34-7. <laughs> and, you know, and then we arrive at the moment. Yep. It's fourth and 14, or fourth and goal at the 14, 41 seconds to go. McCaskey's got the snap. He's, you know, breaking the pocket. He's rolling to his right. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. And then he does the thing. Pump fakes. That, yeah, pumps <laughs> fakes. Then he does the thing that they teach every quarterback in the world not to do. He throws across his body and across the field to a wide open Sterling Sharp in the end zone for a touchdown. Okay. He catches the ball. Lambeau Field explodes. Packer players all over the field. Mikowski jumping into the arms of one of his offensive linemen on the sidelines. It is pandemonium in Lambeau Field until the referee lets everybody know Mikowski was past the line of scrimmage, and that's a loss of down 
First down, Chicago. Now the Bears start to celebrate because that was fourth down. We've won the game. It's 13-7. to We got the ball. It's over with. And then instant replay gets involved. And after, and let me tell you, man, this is the part of the game that I remember vividly was that this was back when they would take 20 minutes to do an instant replay, to do a review of a play. It literally took forever for them to come down. Like that one moment of Dan Fouts saying, oh, no, he's fine. The line of scrimmage is at the 14. He's standing at the 15. When he throws it, that's a touchdown. He said that about eight or Mm -hmm. nine times before they actually came back. Because I hated Dan Fouts at the end of this. Like (laughs) I didn't care. I didn't care. The Bears won. This is over with. We won this game. And he keeps saying that we lose. Screw Dan Fouts. I hate this. And then finally, they come out from under the hood or whatever they did back then. Actually, (laughs) it's a reversal. It's a touchdown. Green Bay and the Packers all start celebrating all over again. I mean, it was just... Just, I mean, talk about a roller coaster. And of the 20-minute video that we watched, Evan, that's about five minutes of the video is yeah. that whole ordeal. So a whole a quarter the whole of the exchange. entire of the video was that was, you know, the touchdown, the review, the response, the emotion, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was crazy that whole time. Well, and so my 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 reaction, and, and this is my honest reaction as I'm watching the play and watching the you know, watching this last night is you know, was basically exactly what Fouts was saying was what, where, where was the controversy? Because his body was clearly behind the line of scrimmage. And then I had to, I had to remind myself and and after doing some, some digging and and things and remember that that wasn't the rule in 1989. It was, it was the, the spot of, it was where the football was released. Not if you had any part of your body still behind the line of scrimmage. And so like I had to, I, I had to remind myself that, um, that somewhere in those, you know, those intervening 30 years, the, the NFL changed that rule. I don't know if it was, maybe it was a result of this game because this was, it was so inconclusive, um, you know, based or, or, or the, the footage was inconclusive, which, um, certainly should have, uh, should have driven the decision in a different direction, um, on replay because, um, again, like I, I'm just sitting here thinking, his body's behind the line of scrimmage. What, what, what's the problem? And then, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I just had to. I had to remember that wasn't that wasn't the rule. That's not what they yeah. were. You know, that's well, not I mean, what the referee on the sideline was looking at at in in real time. And there's sure as hell is not an angle where you can see down the line of scrimmage. That was going to be my point. Is that in today's, yeah. there will be more cameras available. Uh, mm-hmm. Even for a random Sunday afternoon game between the Bears and the Packers, there would be more cameras. Somebody would have been down the line of scrimmage, even if it was like that uh, that down the line cam that they have on the first down marker or something. They would have had something that would have been in a much better position to tell where Mikowski was and where he was when he let go of the ball, where his body was in the whole uh, nine yards. And, and maybe that's why Ditka was so pissed off about this play. I don't actually I'm 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 kind of thinking that he wasn't a fan of instant replay to begin with because the aftermath <laughs> of this game is that as at, at at the very least for as long as Ditka was head coach there was an asterisk next to this game in the media guide and the asterisk said instant yep. replay game. So, you know, it's like Ditka w- basically never let it go that they you know like instant replay won that game. The Packers did not uh kind of thing. So, but um, yeah. you know, 
with- but no, I mean, again, knowing knowing the rule, um, looking back on it, uh, you know, seeing the replays that were that were available, I, I I share in you know your confusion and everyone else's confusion as to how <laughs> the hell they could find a way to to overturn that based on on what you saw, yeah. um, you know, on those replays. It just it's it 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 does really kind of defy explanation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then of course looking through it through 2022 eyes, you know, the first thing that I thought when I saw this for the first time again was, okay, well, his body, he's in the line of scrimmage at the 14, his foot is at the 15, so he's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, because that's where I was confused. Is like, so why did it take so long for them to say that he was fine? And then, like you said, it's like I looked it up, and it's like, oh, it wasn't where his body was. It's where the ball was when he let go of it. So if his hand was over the 14 yard line, then it's, then the penalty is valid and the bears win the game, you know, kind of thing. So, um, it's, it's one of those things. It's so funny to me because yeah, you you feel like that at that time it would have been much easier to tell if, you know, a part of the body or if, if the entire body was over the line versus the football nowadays with all, you know, with all the technology that we have, we probably could tell better, the the placement of the football relative to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and you know you, you'd think that the two the two rules would have been swapped and that you know they they would have each been been easier to um you know to 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 judge the the placement of the football in the modern NFL as opposed to you know to the NFL of yesteryear yeah so uh, amidst all the celebration we still have an extra point to kick and uh Chris Jackie yeah. becomes yeah, the tie hero. game yeah <laughs> Because it's tied now, 13-13, and Chris Jackie becomes the hero when he puts the extra point through. The crowd goes nuts again because now they're actually winning. Um, After the kickoff and whatnot, the Bears had 25 seconds uh, to go. I think we had a timeout or two uh, at least uh, going into it. We only need a field goal, but we didn't get out of our own end zone, essentially. I mean, we didn't even get out outside of the 20-yard line uh, or whatever it was, and, you know, we had a Hail Mary attempt that fell dead, and Neil Anderson dropped the last pass uh, of the game when the clock struck zero and uh, and everything, and and that's when the real celebration began. They show up, you know, of an image of of Tim Harris on the ground, face first in the turf, pounding on it like he's just so happy that they've beaten the Bears. Uh, the crowd's going crazy. They're high fiving fans who are practically falling out of the stands to high five the players as they walk uh, down the tunnel. And everything, and to give context about why this was such a big deal, was this was the first time the Packers had beaten the Bears since Week 14 of 1984. So they had gone almost five full seasons without a win over the Bears. As a matter of fact, since Ditka took over, I actually looked as, looked it up and found the numbers. Since Ditka took over as head coach in 1982, ironically, because of the strike season, they did not play in 1982. Uh-huh. So Ditka's first year as head coach, he did not play the Packers. They split in 83. They split again in 84. And then the Bears swept in 85, 86, and 87. So they were 10-2 and two going into this game, or as, as far as the Packers are concerned, 2-10 and 10 against the Bears in those six seasons yep. or so uh, going into this. So this was their first win in, you know, in five years and only their third since 1982 against the Bears. So it was quite a big deal, and they would go on to sweep the Bears, as a matter of fact, that year. 
Yep. Yeah, and again, I mean, this was another one of those those cardiac pack wins. Yeah. Um, it, it would they would Packers would end up finishing ten and six and would miss out on the playoffs by I think just a game. I think they finished a game behind Minnesota. Yeah, I in the have division, some if I remember right. I did some research on that too. Actually, yeah, because, but uh, but of of the Packers, ten wins that season. Seven of them were by one score or less, and six of those were within a field goal or less. Wow! So, yeah, yeah. Um, just really underscores how how lucky they are. I mean, they were basically even on points scored versus points allowed. So <laughs> um, it was it was basically a team that should have ended up finishing about eight and eight. Um, ended up just definitely getting getting some real strong luck in the uh the close game range um there's there's one point where they they win consecutive games in a couple weeks later they beat the the Niners by four they beat the Vikings by one and then they beat the Buccaneers by one back to back to back weeks um in in late November early December so um yeah it was again that this all really serves the legend of, of Mikowski um with, with how he was able to to lead so many of these these comeback wins. I mean, five of those were fourth quarter comeback wins too. Um, that that was was on Mikowski's record. Yeah, I mean, looking looking at the the schedule now, that you know they had the the four and four start with the win over the Bears. They were now five and four. They lose the following week to Detroit, and then they go five and one in the last six games to finish yeah. you know, ten and six. And what kept them out of the playoffs was two things. Number one, they lost the divisional tiebreaker to Minnesota. Minnesota was also ten and six, but they were six and two in the division to Green Bay's five and three. And this was the last year that there were only five playoff teams. Aha. Nineteen ninety was the first year that there were six. In nineteen eighty nine, it was the last year that there were five. So what happened was all three division champions got a bye week. The net, the Central, the West, and the East. So San Francisco, New York, and Minnesota all got the week off. And the wild card teams, Philadelphia yep. and the Rams, who both finished 11-5, and five, therefore a game better than what Green Bay put together, they played in the wild card round, and then the winner went off to the uh, divisional uh, round. And um, the Vikings kind of got screwed in that scenario because – there was also a rule back then that if your if your divisional round opponent would have was a division opponent, you didn't play each other. It wasn't last seed goes to the highest seed no matter what because the Rams were the five seed. They're the last team in. They beat Philadelphia in the wild card round. They should have gone to San Francisco in the divisional round. Instead, because they were divisional opponents, they went to New York and beat the Giants to go to the NFC Championship game. And the Vikings were the three seed who should have been hosting a playoff game instead went on the road to uh san francisco and got murdered That's by the brutal. future by the champions because the 49ers <laughs> the the packers beat the 49ers the packers were or the 49ers yep. went 14 and 2 that year so they were one of two losses that the 49ers suffered all of 1989 it was crazy so yep. but i mean yeah that, that is a that was a, a crazy one though yeah so i mean <laughs> That's the that's what kept Green Bay out of the playoffs that year. And I don't actually I don't know if there were six teams if Green Bay would have made it because uh, Washington also finished ten and six. And I didn't do the yep. research to find out if the Redskins had the you know the conference tiebreaker uh, over them. And, and I'm looking at the schedule now. Yeah, I don't think they played head they to head in that season. The, so they did not play the Redskins, those. so it wouldn't have been a head to head tiebreaker. So I mean. 
chances are good. If there were six teams, they probably would have made the playoffs, but I don't know for sure if they would have. It was like today's NFL, and it was seven teams. They're in, no matter what. But um, what if it was six teams like it was in 1990, I, I don't know if they make it or not. It would be – I think they might have, but I don't know. So. And if, if they had snuck in there, right, that would have been just their second – playoff appearance in almost 20 years um wow and and really the only other time you know the the obviously there we got the the lombardi packers era and then they made the playoffs one more time in uh 1972 when they won the division and lost in in the divisional round the only other time between 72 and 93 that the packers made the playoffs was in 82 in the strike season Mm. um when they they snuck in with a 5-3 and 1 record so yeah that 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 was you know, and, and that eighty nine season was also one of the only times that they even had a winning record in that stretch. Yeah. Um that was that was a really, really brutal stretch. I mean, they're coming off a four and twelve record in eighty eight, five nine and one in eighty seven, four and twelve again in eighty six. So I mean these they were really you know, they, they were the leanest of the lean years of, of Green Bay football. And um I think this was sort of a yeah, that, that 89 season was was a little bit of the spark that gave a little bit of hope back to the franchise mm-hmm. and back to the fans. And obviously a couple of years later in 92 when, um, you know, when, when you get new leadership in the front office and then new coaches and, and obviously a, a certain young gunslinging quarterback arrives into town um, and really the, the whole for, whole fortune and whole trajectory of the franchise changed completely yeah. you know, in, in that 92 season. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was, it was definitely a, a, an interesting time um, because the first year that I got into football um, was, was ironically 85 uh, for me. And talk about setting expectations <laughs> because right. I did not see the Bears lose a single game in 85 because the game that they lost in Minnesota, to Miami – was a Monday night game, which was past my bedtime. So I literally did not see the Bears lose a single game during the 1985 season. Then 86, they go 14-2. and two. Then 87, they, they lost the game for another strike, but they went 11-4. 88, they went 12-4. So you can imagine how torturous 89 was when they went 6-10. You know, yep. They hadn't lost 10 games my entire life watching them play for the last four or five seasons, and they lost 10 in a single season. It was like, what is going on here? And, and looking back, I can't remember if it was just not their year or if injuries played into it or what the, whatever the situation was that led from starting 4-0 and to finishing 6-10. and But, um, you know, everything was right with the world in 1990 and 91. Not only did we win the division and go back to the playoffs – but uh, we swept Green Bay in 90 and 91. So, yep. And then, of course, 1992 <laughs> happened, and uh, you know Brett Favre took over, and uh, the considerable lead that the Bears had in the rivalry at the time was slowly but surely chipped away at. Favre took a big chunk out of it, and then Rodgers took the uh, baton and not only overtook the – not only tied, but then overtook the series to where we sit today. I think the Packers have, what, a six, seven, eight-game lead on us now? So it's a couple. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's quite ex- blown up to to that much, but yeah, I think there's there's also a generation of Packers fans that that 
gets that a little bit too, right? Um, because you figure growing up in the in the '90s, late '90s, with those Favre teams, um, and even through the early 2000s, the 2001, 2002, 2003 teams, you know, those were still you know 10 win plus teams, competitive, always you know making some playoff runs, and then you hit 2005, and the bottom just falls out under Mike Sherman, and the Packers go four and twelve. And, you know, that was a uh, definitely a, a wake up call, I think, for the franchise. And, and that was the, the impetus for, for firing Sherman and bringing McCarthy in, which led to a you know, kind of a, a, another quick renaissance and turnaround. Um, so. So, yeah, it was almost like there was that that hiccup and, you know, and then the Packers were able to, to pivot quickly and, and get back on track. Um, and then we're, you know, we're back in the NFC championship game again, two years later right. uh, in 2007 in Favre's last season in green Bay. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you. I think I've shared this with you before. There was not a coaching hire. I laughed at more than when I heard green Bay was hiring Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, with him being the offensive coordinator of the worst offense in football. It's like, what the <laughs> hell are they thinking? What are like, I'm glad they made this hire. This guy sucks. It's like, why, what are they doing? Like, I don't get it. He must've had a hell of an interview to get that job because his, his stats on the field certainly didn't win the job for him. He was the offensive coordinator of the worst uh, offense in football in San Francisco. And now he's the head coach of the, the Packers. It's like, great. This is going to be great for the bears. We'll keep kicking green Bay's ass. I look forward to it. And that did not work out at all. Yeah. I mean, he he turned Favre around. He made him, you know, a viable quarterback again. Who uh, he kind of reined in some of those those gunslinging tendencies for two years, and um, you know, got the the best out of his twilight years, especially in two thousand seven, until you know that that last pass in overtime against the Giants, and um, you know, really did kind of set the stage for that that transition to Rodgers and the the continuity that has has followed along with it. So. Um, I, I do think a lot of that is probably due to you know him hiring some really good coaches around him too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean guys like guys like Joe Philbin who you know have been in the game for years. Um, you know when when he hired Capers uh, as his defensive coordinator. Um, you know when when Capers defense was still really effective and they had the the guys to uh, to run that. Um, I think those were some of his his biggest. Uh, pluses were were doing a really good job on hitting on assistant coach hires as well, so I think that definitely helped them out a little bit. Um, but it it is interesting to see you know see him in Dallas now and how how that's going and, and working with Jerry. Um, I will I wouldn't say Packers fans are are cheering for him to to lose a- actively for McCarthy to lose. Obviously, we don't want to see the Cowboys do well, right? But um, I think there there is at least a little bit of um, of interest there in terms of all right is he you know is he really not a good coach or you know did did it just kind of wear thin in green bay and and was it time for a change a couple of years ago no i think right. the jury is still out on that and you know as to what happens next few years in dallas well one thing that i wanted to mention as as we start to wrap up here was the thing that I that I that I enjoyed the most, despite watching my guys lose this this game, was the intensity of the rivalry during that yes. time. And uh, you know, you and I were talking before uh, we started recording. Was you know the game that uh, that we started this series with with Emery Moorhead talking about uh, the Bears Packers game in in '86. And as you mentioned before, that they were terrible in '86. They were two and ten going into that game uh, against the Bears, who were ten and two. Uh, and, and everything like they 
literally, like at least on paper, didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning that game uh, in Chicago back in '86. The Bears were on their were defending world champion. They were on their way to another fourteen and two. Uh, season that basically there was the pathway to the Super Bowl was laid for them. They were going to be the team playing for the NFC in Pasadena, as far as everyone uh, was concerned. And then, you know, Charles Martin bounced uh, Jim McMahon's shoulder off the turf and put that uh, put that yeah. plan in the trash. But the way the Packers played the Bears, even being the inferior team, being two and ten, but not caring and going out and hitting the Bears in the mouth every chance they that they got. To the to the to the point where this you know vastly superior team won the game twelve to ten, and in eighty five when they went up to Lambeau they had to score a touchdown in the final minutes uh, to win the game sixteen uh, to fourteen. It's like all the games were close. The Packers played the Bears like they weren't afraid of us, and I just wish that was something that the Bears of today would do. Now maybe Eberflus is the guy that's going to inject this team with the attitude to stand up to Green Bay to at least make a game out of it. Because, you know, you and I, we talked about this a lot. I've had you on the show for years now that we're rivals, but this hasn't been a rivalry for years. Back then, even when when the Bears kept winning the games, it was a rivalry because there was a chance with how close those games were that Green Bay could win uh, those football games. That's how intense those games were, despite the polar opposites uh, of the quality of those two teams at the time. Yeah, and I got to think it comes back to what, what you had mentioned earlier and that the the, the former player factor as, as head coaches, right, with, with Forrest Gregg being the Packers coach through, you know, that stretch in the mid mid 1980s um i gotta imagine that 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 was probably part of a factor there for for how the packers played and oh, the fact sure. that they were always getting up for getting up for the bears games um because yeah him him having been you know on the field in that rivalry for for so long in his hall of fame career um I, i'm sure that that influenced you know how he led his team and and how he you know the intensity he demanded from from his players in those those Packers Bears games. And I have proof because Emory Moore had said that uh, <laughs> you know Forrest Gregg you know openly said you know you do whatever you want or do whatever you can in this game I've got your back. So yep. you want to Charles Martin you want to spike uh, Jim McMahon into the ground okay great <laughs> you know he got ejected and thrown out from the game but hey my guy was playing football that's what happens you know guys get hurt. When they play the game, he wasn't going to condemn him or, or, you know, or anything right. like that. He's like, my guy went out there and he made the play. And unfortunately he got hurt. What are you going to do? Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, little, little different mentality in those days though. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the worst part about what's happened over the last 30 years was not so much that the Packers have won more than they've lost since uh, Favre came in is that, you know, it, it's almost like the bears are used to losing to green Bay now. And I think that's the part that bothers me the most. It's like you just got the the vibe, like go back and, and watch any of those games. They're all over YouTube. And just watch the way that the Packers played against the Bears. And, you know, it's like I wish that that's how the Bears played the Packers now. The, the game was yep. more intense. They didn't play like they, they went in there thinking that they were going to win or at the very least Green Bay is going to earn or Chicago is going to earn this victory. Uh, over us they're gonna have to fight tooth and nail uh, against us never mind the fact that we're three and seven coming into this game and they're eight and oh or nine and oh or whatever they're gonna have to beat us uh and and we're not just gonna roll over and let them win because they showed up 
Yeah, and the only the only Bears coach who's really gotten that out of this this team in the last twenty or twenty five years is Lovey. Yeah, right. I mean, at least at least when when Lovey was in town, um, you know, Packers fans. I, I I won't say that that we were afraid of the Bears, but there was always a you know there was still a, a pretty you know solid respect for for you know what the Bears had with with him and obviously with that defense and yeah. you know the the Urlacher, Tillman Briggs. Peppers era, um, those defenses. Um, you know, there was there was always the the feeling there that okay, you know, we we still have to take these guys seriously. That uh, there has not always been that feeling in um, in in the years, in the decade prior to his arrival, and in in the decade since he he left in 2012. Right. Yeah, like I said, hopefully Iberflus will bring a different attitude uh, to the team. He seems like a no nonsense. Uh, guy and he's he's very much in the mode of lovey as matter as as far yep. as his teaching with the with the loafing and and the hits principles and uh and stuff like that they're definitely going to hold their guys accountable which is the one thing matt Nagy did absolutely none of during his yep. tenure with them you just felt like the i mean javon wims and uh what's that other idiot's name uh anthony miller Full on face punching somebody in the in the in the middle of the field with everybody watching, you know, is like no accountability. Both those guys kept their jobs. I mean, Anthony Miller later on got traded, but he was still a member of the Bears until he was traded, like right before the draft uh, or something yep. like that. Just ridiculous. He should have been released immediately after the game. <laughs> Same thing with Javon Wimps. After he got suspended, he should have been cut by the Bears. Not you know our number four receiver coming off the. The bench still making catches and, and stuff like that. It was absolutely ridiculous. There was no accountability, therefore no respect for the head coach because you knew you can get away with anything. So yeah. hopefully Iberflus comes in with a different attitude and these games can get a lot more exciting even if we can't change the outcome. At the very least, the Packers have to earn these victories as opposed to like, hey, Green Bay's here. That's a W for them. Let's just move on <laughs> to the next one. So the NFL is always better when when Packers Bears is a good rivalry. Amen. I, I will I will stand by that. So. Well, Evan, man, this this was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, even though we had a, only had like a twenty minute video uh, of a condensed <laughs> version of the game to work with, I think we got a lot done uh, with that. This conversation is officially two and a half times longer than that video was. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, I, I got one other. I got one other thought that's on my okay, head too. Um, it's it's. I'll, I'll make it quick. Uh, I, I find it fascinating that the Packers were involved in the game that basically put an end to instant replay in the eighties. <laughs> And the game that brought it back in the the ninety eight playoffs, the Jerry Rice fumbled game uh, mm. in San Francisco. Um, so it just just very interesting to me that uh, the Packers were involved in both of those and ended up on the wrong end of of both of well uh, on opposite ends of of both of them. Um, I should say so. Um, yeah, Rice Rice clearly fumbling and and that not being uh, you know re- replay not being uh, available. Um, you know, led to San Francisco beating the Packers in that that wild card game in in '98. So, just that interesting the Owens little game? note of history. Yeah, that was that was one or two plays right before the the TO catch and that that touchdown in the you know, in the in the end zone. Because so. I was um, I had uh, Raymond Harris on the show a year or two ago. Uh, it was mm-hmm. in 2020 during the pandemic, and he was a member of the Packers that year. Yep, and he was telling me what that game, you know, what that game was like. He didn't mention the instant replay. Uh, thing but uh, yeah he yeah was that talking was the about how crazy Rice, of a game that was with Owens catching yeah, that touchdown at the end 
Yep, but yeah, two plays before that, um, Rice very clearly fumbles, knee is not down, um, but they ruled him down by contact, and and there was no replay. And then, boom, next year, 99, instant replays back. So <laughs> just an interesting little historical footnote. Wow. Well, because the play that I always thought that I was aware that got credit for the return of instant replay was not so much that play, but there was a play, I think the same season or earlier, like in the regular season, actually, where um, – Vinny Testaverde got credit for a touchdown when the ball didn't break, didn't cross the plane. Like mm. he got tackled and the ball was down by his waist and his, like his helmet and his, like from his head and shoulders was over the goal line, but the ball was down by his, by his ball sack and he did not score a touchdown, <laughs> but they gave him a touchdown oh, and it cost the Seahawks. You know, yep. It cost the Seahawks a trip to the playoffs that year. I now that you mentioned that I do remember that one. Um, so yeah, maybe it was a combination of. Uh, oh, I'm sure know, that didn't it's, help. It's I'm sure. Yeah, that yeah, that I'm sure didn't it was, help. Uh, was the yeah, rice yeah, play. Yeah, that's that's that one. I'm sure is is probably more obviously more vivid in my memory because uh, oh, I'm sure. that, that yeah. was in my you know that that was my instant replay game right or or lack thereof. Yeah. Um. The, the Jerry Rice fumbled game as as Packers fans referred to it, but um. But yeah, no, there there were a number of things then, and and finally the technology had started catching up, and and we could actually, um, you know, have real viable replays with decent angles and um, you know, decent decent quality. You know, starting starting up in '99, and um, now the only question is what's you know what's reviewable and what's not. So. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, if if that uh, Testaverde play was the spark, uh, Rice uh, getting away with that fumble was the gasoline, if you yeah. will, that pushed it over the top because that was something that that was and it's not it wasn't exactly something that was like belabored upon for years and years. It was like that off season. Bring it back, God damn it! And then it yep. was back because it was just—I mean, it was that fast. Like, you know, you've got mistakes that are costing teams seasons now. Right. You know, never mind a play here, a play there. They lose a regular season game, whatever. Seattle didn't make the playoffs. San Francisco should have lost that playoff game because we don't have instant replay. Let's get it going, and there we have it. So, um, twenty plus years strong, it's been back. So. All right. Thanks so much again, Evan. This was a lot of fun, man. Um, Absolutely. Look forward to, to having you on in about um, about a couple of months, I think, so in like late June, early July, somewhere when we do our opponent preview uh, episodes again. We'll, we'll, we'll review the draft and the offseason. And, I mean, you got well, – we can leave out the draft and the offseason and just talk <laughs> about Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. We could probably fill out an hour just talking about that. Oh man, uh, I'm uh, I'm hoping we have some uh, some new wide receivers to uh, to discuss. <laughs> um, hopefully, one who who is used to my my fingers are crossed that one of them will be used to having caught passes from Justin Fields yeah. in college. But and I hope well. you're talking about the other one, not Chris Olave, because <laughs> that's the, like we talked about. We went back and forth for about five minutes over this before we started recording. He's like anybody but Olave. I know you guys got two first round picks. You also got like what two second rounders as well. Yep. Yeah. Yes, on sir. top of it. Plenty of real estate to uh, to go out and get one of those <laughs> receivers. Let it be the other Ohio State guy. That's fine. Just not – Just I would very much like for Justin Fields' favorite target in college not to kick our ass twice a year. I would like that very much. So, please, take Traylon Burks. Take that other kid from Ohio State. Take the kid from USC. Anybody but Chris Olave. Please, 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 please. <laughs> no promises. <laughs> so uh, – all right, Evan, we look forward to uh, having you back. Where can we keep up with you in the meantime? 
Yeah, you can always find us uh, at acmepackingcompany.com, at acmepackingco on Twitter. I'm at TexWestern. Um, obviously, you know, draft season is upon us. We're going to have some live draft shows if you want to tune in and, and see Packers fans and, and Raiders reactions to uh, to what's going on in the, the first two days of the draft. Uh, we'll be we'll be going live with some some video of of our folks and certainly uh, getting everybody ready to go between now and then. All right. So until we uh, until we meet again, Evan, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. My pleasure. Go pack go. <laughs> This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels, so... S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. Man, that was fun. Absolutely a blast. Uh, Like I said, despite the fact that we were reminiscing about a game that our beloved lost uh still a lot of fun to take that trip down to memory lane uh to to one of the more beloved times in in bears history especially you know aside from the lovey years it's it's about all we got uh unfortunately for me i was old enough to be there and witness it and you know remember it and everything and it's also kind of unfortunate because i grew up watching the bears kick the piss out of green bay twice a year, every year for quite a long time uh, before the tables turned in, in 92. And uh, we basically never looked back. So uh, that's the thing that's kind of sucked about watching the Bears instantly get two victories a season over Green Bay uh, to watch it and how the, the role has completely reversed. And it's every year that, you know, the Bears uh, are getting swept every year by the Packers. So hopefully, like I said, at the end of the conversation there with Evan, hopefully Eberflus brings a different attitude and even if we continue losing to Green Bay, it's not laughing stock losses like it has been, where you know the Bears tend to roll over and just let Green Bay do what they do. Uh, I would much rather prefer, like if we have to lose to Green Bay going forward, I would really like for Green Bay to earn uh, these victories. I mean, it's been a long time since um, you know the Bears and the Packers have been a rivalry. We're rivals, no doubt, but we haven't been a rivalry for many, many years. And uh, hopefully Eberflus and, and Poles will bring a mentality and an attitude that will uh, turn the tides. Maybe at, at the very least, let's even things out. If we can split with Green Bay every year for a while, I'm good with that. You know, knowing that we can at least get a win, whether it's, you know, we split road games or we split home games, I don't care. I at least want to know we're going to get one victory a season. Kind of like with, with Minnesota and Detroit. You know we're going to get at least one out of those, out of those games. Uh, more times than not, if we don't sweep, like we did with with Detroit the last couple of years. But you know, time will tell. The season is slowly but surely getting here. Uh, when we talk next week, um, I'm looking forward to it, especially on the 347 Club 347 next Friday. That's going to be an interesting one because seven o'clock when I do that show next week is around the time the Bears should be picking if they haven't picked already. 
because I think the draft starts at like 6 p.m. Central Time on Friday. So by the time 7 o'clock rolls around and I start doing the show, uh, maybe the Bears have made both of their picks or or maybe at the, we, we've traded back and now we've got more picks in the third round or, or whatever. Uh, I'm interested to see how that all turns out and uh, how the first round goes. And as you heard Chris and I, or excuse me, Evan and I talking there at the end, I'm hoping that I'm celebrating the fact that Chris Olave is not a Green Bay Packer. I mean, if, if the Bears can't have him, fine, I get that. We're not picking until 39. The odds of him falling to us are slim to none. But um, the odds of him ending up in Green Bay with two first-round picks are very good. And I hear it, and I'm, you know, Evan was telling me he thinks they like him the best. So the chances of him being in Green Bay are pretty good. I'm hoping that somebody beats them to it so we don't have to have Justin Fields' favorite target kicking our ass twice a year uh, in the place of Devontae Adams, who is now uh, a Las Vegas Raider. So anyway, uh, keep your eye out uh, for any future shows uh, coming up. Um, I've, I'm talking to uh, Chris Gates from um, from the Daily Norseman about a Bears-Vikings game. I also got Jeremy Reisman very interested in doing a Bears-Lions game, so maybe we'll have one of those coming to you uh, next week uh, before the draft, and then, you know, obviously after the draft, we'll have, uh, once the Bears sign their undrafted free agent uh, class, we'll do a draft recap, talk about our new players, and uh, go forward from there because uh, we're slowly but surely inching towards our opponent playoff ser- our opponent preview uh, series, AFC East, NFC East, Houston, Atlanta, and I think pretty sure it's San Francisco again. I always keep forgetting that it's, I think it's San Francisco. But those are all the opponents that we have, along with, of course, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Detroit. So uh, we're getting there. We are getting there. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Excited about the draft next week. Very curious to see how, how Ryan Poles is going to add to this team and uh, get us into 2022. So um, I look forward to it. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, like I said, keep an eye on the social media at BTU underscore Larry on, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the Bears Talk Underground Facebook group uh, on Facebook. Just search Bears Talk Underground. So. Keep an eye on for when we'll be back, if it's going to be another Retro Rewind or if it'll it'll wait until we do our draft preview in a couple of weeks. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops 
and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.